I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, I'm Dhamini and you're listening to Gender Question. Here we will look at an issue that's in the news using the lens of gender. The idea is to take a blind spot and throw some light on it. Fire. A film about two women in an intimate, passionate relationship. Released in India in November 1998. Soon after its release, members of a right-wing political party in Maharashtra, the Shiv Sena, began to vandalize theatres in Mumbai, Delhi, Surat and even Kolkata. To counter this, women's groups, human rights groups and lesbian groups protested across the country. In Delhi, on December 7, 1998, According to one news report, 32 groups came together, outraged by what they saw as the right-wing's hijacking of Indian culture. It was one placard held by a protest that, to use a term we understand today, went viral. It read, Indian and Lesbian. This was the first time that lesbians emerged, as it were, in the public eye and claimed for themselves an identity, even as they faced direct political resistance to it. But how did this come to pass? According to Naisargi Dave's highly detailed and very significant book, Queer Activism in India, which came out in 2012, informal groups of same-sex desiring activist women were already meeting by the mid-1980s. In 1985, for instance, Indian delegates attended a workshop for lesbians at the Nairobi Women's Conference. Five years later, seven Indian women activists from Mumbai and Delhi attended a conference of Asian Lesbian Network in Bangkok, where, in fact, they met each other for the first time. In 1987, the story of Urmila and Leela broke out. The two police women from Madhya Pradesh had got married in a private ceremony. But this news was leaked by a colleague, following which the two of them lost their jobs and several articles were written about them. Now, Urmila and Leela did not explicitly refer to themselves or call themselves lesbians. But many media reports at the time quoted experts analysing lesbianism, associating it with familial rejection and loneliness, the way writes in her book. So, if we were to try and track some sort of a timeline, when it comes to the emergence of groups for lesbian and bisexual women in India, we start with Geeti Tharani's Sakhi, a collective that came up in Delhi in 1991. Sakhi had a PO box number, like Council Club in Trikon, which we had spoken about in our previous episode. And women across the country would write into Sakhi to communicate with other same-sex desiring women through the relative anonymity that letters afforded. 
Sangini, a helpline for lesbian women started in 1997 out of NAS Foundation's office in New Delhi. NAS, of course, being the organization that filed a petition against Section 377 in 2001. And then, of course, there was Kaleri that came up uh, around the time of the fire protests, Kaleri being an acronym for Campaign for Lesbian Rights. In the mid-1990s, around 1995 or so, a network called Women to Women emerged in Bombay after a young queer activist called Leslie Esteves, who at that time was based in Bombay, wrote a letter to Sakhi. Leslie went on to co-found a group with Shals Mahajan, another queer feminist activist, and a handful of others that came to be called Stri Sangam. Now, of course, you understand that at the time, the two of them did not identify as queer activists. They were young queer people. They were young queer people in search of uh, terminologies and identities, and but more importantly, of course, in search of other people like them. None of us had been in a room in India full of queer people like us. Full of only queer people. Full of only queer people. Yeah, true. That's Shells and Chinika, members of Libya, a queer feminist LBT collective, speaking about the early days of organizing in the 1990s in an online webinar series organized by Nazaria, a queer feminist resource group, which has been holding these conversations called Our Lives, Our Tales with lesbian, bisexual and trans activists during the Pride Month. Last week, they spoke to Shals and Chinika and also very kindly agreed to share some of this recording with us. Two people at this point, Aarti and Sakina, who were there in Bombay and who were sort of uh, the connecting point for Uh, lesbian women at that point and queer was not part of her language in 95 and uh, so they were in some ways that point of connect and uh, when through them a bunch of us connected with each other and felt they were just a room full of us that's when the idea of having a group of our own sort of came about met Aarti and Sakina and then through them she's also they also said that there are a few more people <clears throat> you should meet them and so uh, with them i met uh, leslie i met uh, bina and gomti and there was one more person called sarah and uh, so the first time when all of us were in this room we suddenly looked at each other and were like wow before starting stri sangam Shals attended meetings of Forum Against Oppression of Women, an autonomous feminist collective that had been around since 1979. But after meeting others like themselves, Shals said, they realized that they needed to make a group of their own. One of the first things that they did was organize a picnic at Godai Beach. And they did that by first sending out a letter. the only thing we said is that we'll meet at the aksa jetty and uh, two of us will be wearing baseball caps which was less than me because we were like the identifiable dykes right uh, uh, you know uh, so we kind of looked stuck out as sore thumbs and which caused us enough, enough problems otherwise but we were like these strange people anyway stuck out so we were sort of wearing our baseball caps and 
we had some time that we'll meet at that point. But I think we just hung around Aksar for some like three hours before all the people who were supposed to come, we sort of figured they'd come. We also spoke to Leslie, who is based in Goa now, and asked her to share with us what happened during that picnic. Everybody started naming other people they knew of, other people they knew of, and we decided to have a kind of a picnic at Gorai, at my godmother's uh, native village in Gorai. So we did. And there, there were 25 women. That was incredible for everybody. I had been to my godmother's house many times and of course she had no idea that about my sexuality or any of this. For her, it was like girls picnic and she would drop off our food from the ferry and um, it worked out. 25 something women came and that it's so interesting how each meeting was so significant and led, led to something else. Mm. That is when we decided we must form a group of women who desire other women which at that time in our minds was basically lesbian and bisexual women. These, this is the terminology we had. And we did. There we decided to set up Sri Sangam. And this group of 25 women started meeting in homes in Bombay, in each other's houses. And more women started coming. A few more. So maybe it became about 30, 35, then 40. We have people from Bombay, on the beach, feeling this euphoria of being in each other's company and uh, eating good food and talking. I mean, of course, we spent almost that whole time talking, just hearing everybody's stories. It was a collective catharsis of all these individual people, together and individually. And I still remember those stories. I still remember the life stories of the women who were there better than I do friends who I have made more recently. Because it was so... um, incredibly moving to come out of a life where you thought you were the only person like this in the world to listen to people articulate that similar struggle, horror, trauma and then the feeling of freedom and euphoria of being with each other. It was, yeah. uh, it was life-changing. Yeah. And I was very fortunate as somebody quite young there and other young people to be in the presence of women who were very strong feminists and This is one of the advantages we had coming from the first city of Maharashtra, which is really the birthplace of very strong labor and interconnected feminist movement. Speaking about how the name Sri Sangam came about, Shans pointed to something important. Not everyone wanted to be out or take on an identity of being lesbian. There was Stigma, of course, but also the sheer impossibility of imagining that one's desire could also be fulfilled. This also points to a learning curve that many queer persons go through in their own efforts to find others like themselves. More than that, a, you know, in, important concern. I mean, people were scared even to invite other people. What Because what if that person knew me in some other context? So the kind of fear people had of being known as lesbian or bisexual. And yes, Sri Sangam, the one of the first debates we had was whether this should be a group only for lesbian women or lesbian and bisexual women. And uh, some of us were very clear about pushing and saying, no, it has to be for both. It cannot be, we are discriminated against, so we cannot discriminate. And so we have to have that. And so it was that lesbian and bisexual women. Uh, as far as trans goes, that was not part of our language. 
a lot of us who uh, later identified and sort of call ourselves trans, including me, uh, we were still struggling with the language of different women and all of that. But we were very clear that that was one of our main things. But that's how Sri Sangam sort of came about into being, and that's why Sri Sangam. It sort of made just more sense at that time. Oh, very much the early 90s, India was only beginning to open up and uh, cable TV had only just begun and it was still a conservative atmosphere and still women were not expected to possess things like desire, let alone alternative quote-unquote desire like for other women, same-sex desire. Right. So I had never seen any positive expression of women's sexuality and it is no wonder that the women I was uh, dating very early in life uh, at age 15, 16 and they themselves were very young uh, were afraid mm, of being uh, known to be involved with another woman and certainly never used the term gay for themselves which was hard for me because you're here you were in a relationship with someone and all that excitement of teenage romance but you also felt a strong sense of rejection because uh, with my early girlfriends it was very clear that there could never be nobody could ever know the mid 1990s also saw a great deal of feminist conversation around personal laws and gender just laws chinika says Thanks to the ABVA petition against Section 377, conversations also centered around this law and amendments to Sections 375 and 376, which are of course the sexual assault laws. Slowly, the demand for a reading down of Section 377 grew among different groups, including those that dealt with child sexual abuse. Sri Sangam, for instance, organized a signature campaign against it. In 1997, Sri Sangam and a few other groups, including Council Club and Sappho in Calcutta, organized a meeting to talk about lesbian, gay and bisexual people's legal rights. So by the time the film Fire came out, there were already conversations happening between women desiring women. Groups and collectives had formed, seeking others like them and talking about impossible desires. Other groups had formed seeking larger alliances to talk about a law that criminalized them. In the next episode, we'll talk about the NAS petition, which is, of course, the petition against Section 377, and the arrests that sparked it. If you have any questions, do reach out to me at the Red Dhamini on Twitter. You can also leave your feedback at HT Smartcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.